Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, as we continue to work our way through this fascinating book of Hebrews. A writer is writing to Jewish Christians. They have come out of the Jewish tradition. They've trusted in Jesus Christ, and he's teaching them that Jesus is what? It's greater than, right? He's greater than the Old Testament prophets. He's greater than the Old Testament system. He's greater than the Old Testament law. He's greater than the Old Testament priest. Jesus is greater than, or we could say another way, Jesus is absolutely supreme overall. Now, today's passage, uh, we're going to see um, uh, a, ver- um, uh, a phrase that we use in the Christian life a lot. Isn't it amazing in the Christian life? We, get, we, we have our own little language, right? We have all these little cliches. And this is one of those, but we're going to talk today, what does it really mean? We say, hey, you know what you got to do on your journey? You've got to what? You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, that's true, but would you agree with me? It's kind of hard to do. It's certainly hard to do in a world where we hang up posters of athletes on our walls and wear their jerseys. It's hard to do in a world where we love to tell stories of mixing and mingling with the powerful people. Man, you never guess who was on my flight. You never guess who I saw. We live in a world where we pour a lot of money into politics and campaigns. We live in a world where we drool over television and screen stars. And we even live in a world where we put Christian celebrities on Christian pedestals. And then we run in a world where, where we're chasing after careers and, and shiny stuff. Hard to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, isn't it? When there are so many other things to look at. Now we know better. We know better. We know that all those athletes, they disappoint us, don't they? We know that politicians, even the conservative ones, have affairs and have to resign from office. It breaks our heart. We know the absolute hypocrisy of Hollywood brought to living color in the form of Harry Weinstein. And then those who remain silent. And then those who act absolutely shocked that this could be going on. I don't have to tell you the number of Christian celebrities that have fallen off their pedestals and fallen hard. And I certainly don't have to tell you that chasing after shiny things, eventually those things dull and they wear out. See, we we know better. We know better, and yet there's that powerful pull to distract our eyes off of Jesus. So how do we refocus? How do we keep our eyes on Jesus? And maybe there's a better question. What in the world does that even mean? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What does it mean? All right, today we want to go through Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 11. We're going to see five things that we need to do 
to run this race well. I want to read Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, work our way through these first two verses, and then work our way through the rest of the chapter. These two first two verses are like, are like packed uh, with the truth we need to understand the rest of the chapter. Let me read it, and then we'll go through it. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, some versions, fix your eyes on Jesus, the the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Man, there's a lot there. Let's go through it. First of all, the writer says, therefore, and when we read the word therefore, we always know that what's going to be said is based on what has been said. So we got to look back at Hebrews chapter 11 and remind ourselves that there in chapter 11, we saw what we call the hall of faith. The writer said, here's what faith is. Here's the description of faith. Now, faith is the substance or the confidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things, the conviction of things not seen. We said faith is not only believing something, but it's acting upon it. And we saw that work itself out in these people of Hebrews chapter 11, 16 different people, uh, three different events, one group of people, the prophets. These people demonstrated what it looks like to follow hard after Jesus Christ. Now the writer, using this word, this conjunctive that glues these two passages together, therefore, i got to stop, this is an interesting word, therefore, normally in the Greek, this is, I just, this is a lot of fun for me, it won't be for you, but I'm just going to put it out anyway, right? <laughs> so normally, therefore, is this Greek word, un, and that gives us the word, therefore, right? But this time, and then only one other time in Scripture, the writer puts three conjunctions together. He puts the word that means whether, he puts the word that means for or because, and then he puts the word that means when or therefore together, and it's like he's saying, don't miss this. Whatever you do, don't miss this. You've got to get this one. It is a strong conjunction. I thought that was fun. Anyway, don't miss this, right? We've been surrounded. we got all these things going on, and the main part of this verse is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, Let's think through that. First of all, what's it mean to run with endurance? The word endurance, uh, we sometimes uh, translate perseverance, and it means to stay in the race. It means you remain on the track. It means you don't quit. You keep going. We run with endurance. The race is a great Greek word as well. It's the word uh, agon, which means we get our English word, what? Agony from it. Running a race. When our oldest daughter uh, ran cross country, uh, they used to take a picture when they were completing the race, and they called it their pain face, their Agony face. I got a picture for you. Yeah. That's Luca. 
uh, running. He runs in college now. But that's his pain face. By the way, that, that's what I look when I start. That's what he looks, looks when he finishes. Right? The pain face. The race is tough sometimes. But that's the race that we're on. And look at this. It's the race that is set before us. It's the race that God puts us on. Whatever your life looks like, whatever race you're running, whatever path you on, God has put you on that path. Do circumstances come? Absolutely. Challenging times come? Absolutely. But it's God who put you on the path. So whatever else you can do, you can at least rejoice, right? That God has you right on that path. I don't know what path you're on today. Sometimes some of you may be on a rocky uphill climb. You just learn that... uh, He's having an affair. You just learn, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, You just learn uh, that your marriage is on a rocky path. You just learn your relationship is over. Heart's broken. Some of you are going through tough times of illness. Treatment's brutal. Prognosis is not good. Some of you are on a race, uh, you're physically worn out. You're caring for a sick loved one. Some of you are between jobs. Some of you are battling discouragement, even depression. Some of you are on the most dangerous part of the race. You know where that is? The slippery slope of success. Things are going really well. That's when we start saying, I think I can, think I can hand, handle this on my own. I don't know where you are in the race. I just know this. It's God's race. He set out the path for you and you need to keep running and you need to do the things that he's calling you to do stay on that race don't quit remain there persevere now to stay on a race the writer says there are five things five things we need to know to stay in a race all right five things here's the first one he says we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. The word cloud is a, is, a, is a metaphor for a group of people, and witnesses are those who testify about something. Now, I know there are people who say, oh man, isn't this cool? Here's this great cloud of witnesses, and here we are living our life, and everyone in heaven is watching and cheering us on, just like a heavenly Heinz Field, right? And waving the terrible towel. Not what this verse means. This verse means we have, we saw in Hebrews 11, a group of people who finished strong. Be encouraged by those who have finished strong. Be encouraged as you live your life by those who've gone before you, not those who are cheering you on from heaven. We have a community here that we live with, right? Flesh and blood. We're cheering each other on. We're spurring each other on. By the way, that's why community is so important. It's not just about the importance of reading Scripture so you see how people ran the race before us so we can run it well. That's critical. But it's also critical to be involved in community so we can spur one another on, so we can love each other, so that we can encourage each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You cannot run this race by yourself. Or you're not supposed to. Put you in a dangerous position. That's why you got to be in community. This past week, 
we, uh, we said goodbye, or so long, to uh, Warren Miller. Uh, a week ago, yesterday, a week ago, uh, Warren was uh, back in town. He was at his house, and he died suddenly uh, of a heart attack. And so uh, on Wednesday, we had his memorial service. Warren was here at the Ch- uh, Bible Chapel for a lot of years, probably over 25 years. And, uh, and we had conversations, but I didn't, know, I didn't know Warren that well. Warren was pretty reserved and, and kind of quiet. And for the, about the last eight years, he's had a job where he travels all over the place. And he would be gone for six, eight, nine weeks at a time uh, going in and, and liquid, a stressful job of liquidating stuff in companies and doing different things. But when I talked with his family, it was so cool, and, and other people who, who knew him, it was so cool to learn so much more about Warren. For, for 25 years now, you probably know Debbie, his wife. Debbie is always at the information table uh, when you walk in. For 25 years, Warren and Debbie uh, uh, had a small group, life group, core group, flock group. They were there in all the changes of the names uh, that we made uh, through the years. Uh, but they had this life group at their home. They, 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 they had this hosp- gift of hospitality. And I talked to people who were in that group years ago. And they said, man, I still remember going in there. And just the warmth and how, how, how their home was a catalyst for hospitality. Um, Warren's uh, daughter said, and boy, parents, don't you want your kids to say this? Every morning when I got up, my dad was already up. And you know what he was doing? He was reading the Word. In God's Word every morning. And he loved memorizing Scripture. And uh, he loved reading through the Bible. She said, boy, that challenges me to be in the Word and reading through Scripture. Then um, they told me another story about the, uh, one of the business. He was, again, a stressful time. They kind of did their work, you know, and they were closing their time together after, after shutting some things down and liquidating stuff. And, and, uh, and they said, Warren, and again, this, is not, this isn't a pair church. Warren, let, let's get together and, and let's circle up and, and pray. Can we do that? And they put their hands on him because they knew he had been through a lot of stress and not only prayed for each other, but they prayed for him. I thought that was so cool because, because he had lived his life in such a way they knew they could do that, right? And they cared enough about him that they wanted to pray for him. Man, that's good stuff. Last, last week, we talked, last time we talked about walking with God. And sometimes we talk about walking with God. Man, we're, we, we want to we look at people who live these large lives. You know, these Old Testament people, they're great. We see them, man. These people walked with God. But this week, thinking about what it means to walk with God and then thinking about Warren, I thought, there was a guy that walked with God. He was quiet. He was reserved. Maybe not a lot of people knew. But man, his lips were quiet, but his life was loud. Walking with God. That's encouraging, isn't it? And that only happens when you're in community. When you you are involved with other people. When you're doing this thing together. And that's the first thing that we got to do. If we're going to stay on the race, if we're going to stay on the path, we got to make sure we're encouraged by those who have gone before us. Number two, we got to drop the baggage. Anybody here have any baggage? Can't run well with a lot of baggage. The writer says, lay aside every weight. And again, 
The whole analogy here is about a foot race. Uh, back in the New Testament times, 180 uh, when this book is written, uh, people are, 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 the runners are going in to the uh, stadium. And when they went into the stadium, they wore these long flowing gowns, big parade into the stadium. But then when they got ready to race, they took off those gowns and they, they, ran, they ran virtually uh, naked. They laid aside everything that would slow them down. The writer is saying, get rid of the baggage, get rid of the hatred, get rid of the prejudice, get rid of jealousy, get rid of bitterness, get rid of the anger, get rid of unforgiveness. Some of you are here, and my goodness, you have family that you haven't forgiven for 20 years. You can't run well with that weight. Holding on to a past grievance materialism, man, that, that just wears us down. When I was, uh, when I was teaching, uh, I, I, we coached a lot of, I was in a little school, we coached everything, but track, we coached track, and, and I'll, never, I, I always, uh, we'd take the kids to the track meet, and we'd watch the kids run, and I always, one of my favorite races to watch was the, was the 400 meter uh, dash, we called it. it was a, it's a full out run, it's a hard, one of the hardest races there is, full out run, for 400 meters, it's a long way to sprint. And it was always, <laughs> our kids weren't that good, so it was always funny, fun watching them. You know, they'd start out, and man, they were out of the blocks. They were smoking it down that, that first part of the track. And they were pretty good around the first curve, not too bad, not too bad. Fading a little bit around the curve, then down the stretch, not too bad, but around that third curve, man, they were dying. <laughs> You could just see their legs were rubber. And the coach I was with, he always said, what happened to you? Did a big gorilla jump on your back? I always thought about that. Did a big gorilla jump on your back? That's what it's like sometimes in the Christian race, isn't it? We feel like a big gorilla of materialism and stuff is on our back. How many of you here today feel the weight of debt? Of trying to keep up with all your stuff? Those wildfires in California, Northern California. I've seen pictures. Man, that's tragic. We need to be praying for those people. But when you see those pictures, it always amazes me. The reporters are always standing uh, in front of burned out homes and cars all over the place. You see, when they come and tell you there's a wildfire coming and you need to get out of here, you don't take your home with you. You don't take your cars with you. You don't take all that shiny stuff with you. Because you want to outrun the fire, right? And the writer is saying, man, drop the baggage. It's weighing you down. Get rid of what you need to get rid of in order to run well. Number three, deal with clinging sin. Lay aside the sin which clings so closely. That word cling is an interesting one. It means to control tightly, and it, it gives the picture, kind of like a mummy. It gives the picture of, of something wound tightly around your legs. Just think about a mummy trying to run. That's the picture. Get rid of that stuff. Let it go, those things that, those, those sins that cling so tightly. What's, what's a, what, what is the sin that clings so tightly? Well, every one of us here, we got our weaknesses, right? 
don't look at me like you don't believe what I'm saying. I got mine, for sure, and you got yours. And there are in all of our lives temptations, sin. What, uh, 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 temptation's not a sin unless we give into it, right? But there are temptations that just drag us down. We keep giving in. They keep tripping us up. Why you have your weakness and why I have mine, I don't know. I just know it's there. And that's the one that keeps tripping me up. So the writer says, get rid of it. Do something about it. If that thing keeps tripping you up, then do something about it. Get it off the path. Make sure you go around it. Put a light on it so it doesn't trip you up. Do something about it. Now, the ball's in your court and my court on that. Here at the Bible Chapel, we don't have a program for that. We don't have another Bible study for that. We don't even have an app for that. You're on your own. What's it going to take? But you've got to make a decision. You and God, you before God, have to make a decision. This thing keeps dragging me down. I cannot continue to go like this. I've got to do something to change. I've got to change something in my life because I can't run well with this sin that clings so tightly to me. i got to repent of it. What's the word repent mean? I'm walking this way, and I turn around and I walk the other way. I can't let this thing drag me down. Deal with clinging sin. Number four, focus, refocus, focus, refocus. Look at uh, chapter uh, 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, or or another translation, fix your eyes on Jesus. That word looking means to look away from everything else and focus on the one object or one person. In this case, it is Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the initiator, the beginner, the originator, and the completer, the finisher of our faith. He is the source of our faith. He is the model of our faith. He's the place. He's the starting line and finish line of our faith. Our, our race begins with him, and it It ends with him. And there are three features about Jesus that demand our attention. We'll come back to those three features right before we take communion. Let's keep going now. If we're going to look at Jesus, if we're really going to fix our eyes on Jesus, there are three things we cannot focus on. First, we can't focus on people. Those people in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, they were great, great men and women of the faith. But they, were fail, they, they failed as well. And if you put your eyes on people, you're going to be disappointed every time. Not sometimes, every time. People will let you down. And the heartbreak for me, as I have the privilege of standing up here, I know, I know, and this kills me, I know there are some people not here today because of me. They put their eyes on me, and I didn't show up at the hospital to visit 
or I didn't do the email that they wanted me to do, or I didn't respond the way they wanted me to respond, and they got upset at me and quit the race. Now, that's irritating to me more than disappointing because you can't do that. If you put your faith in any person, they will fail you. Only Jesus is the one who will never fail you. You can't put your focus on other people. In this day of Christian celebrities, we are killing ourselves. Jesus is the only one we look to. We can't focus on our circumstances. If you focus on your circumstances, you're going to be like a spiritual schizophrenic. Man, I'm great today. I'm not so good today. I'm excited today. I'm discouraged today. Our circumstances change all the time, and they always will. Now, some are tough. We know they're tough. But even within those circumstances, there's Jesus who doesn't change, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We keep our eyes focused on him, the one who started the race with us, the one who's going to finish the race with us, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can't focus on people. We can't focus on circumstances. One more. Who is it? I can't focus on me. Someone said a person wrapped up in himself or herself is a pretty small package. Some Christians get very self-absorbed and self-saturated. You can't follow the instructions of Jesus Christ and your desires at the same time. Because when I read the Bible, some of his instructions <laughs> tell me I can't do my desires. Some of the, one of the best ways to run the race well and get your eyes off yourself is to start serving in some capacity. Because when you serve others, you can't serve yourself. You can't focus on people. You can't focus on circumstances. You can't focus on yourself. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Now we're back to this running analogy. That words, those words, grow weary and faint-hearted, means to, grow weary means to pant as you run. And it also means, faint-hearted means, at the end, you just collapse. You're tired from the race. Don't do that. Don't grow weary and faint-hearted. Now, this word consider is pretty cool here. The word consider is a strong word. It literally means add it up. Uh, you know, when we do math, uh, we, we have our numbers, right? We used to do this. Now we just put it on our, <laughs> on our phone. But we used to put the numbers there in a line. And then when the line's at the bottom, right? And you add it down. But in that day, you add it up and the line was at the top. That's what it means, add it up. I thought that was pretty cool when I learned that this week. See, no extra charge for that. You guys now know. <laughs> Add it up. And so when someone says that doesn't add up, that's where it comes from. That's what the writer's saying here. When it comes to Jesus, add it up. Do the numbers. Consider him. Look at his life. 
Look at his words. Look at his instruction. Add it up. Consider Jesus. Never compare him to, to compare him to the shiny things. See who wins out. Compare him to those heroes that you have posters of on your wall. See who wins out. Compare him to those politicians you follow or movie stars. You see who wins out. You keep your eyes on him. He'll win out every time. You compare him to others. Reflect on him. And you draw your own conclusions. Keep your eyes on Jesus. One more. Embrace God's training program. Embrace God's training program. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 5. Look at verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the writers there saying, man, you guys are going through some tough times, but you haven't been martyred yet. You're still in the game. In your struggle, uh, and, you have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This, then he quotes from the Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, when you read the word discipline in Scripture, it can mean one of two things. Uh, one is punitive, right? Punitive. So if you have kids, right? You know that sometimes they, they're just little sinners and they step out of line. And you love them so much. If they're, you know, they go play by the road and you say, we don't play by the road. And they go back and play by the road and you say, we don't play by the road. And they go back and play by the road. Sometimes you discipline them because you love them too much to let them get hit by a car, right? Now, when you're a grandparent, it gets cool. <laughs> because when they need discipline, you just give them back to their parents and say, hey, I've done this for a long time. You deal with this now. But discipline is sometimes punitive. That's not what we're doing here in, in Hebrews. In Hebrews, the word means instruction or training or education. Think about a coach. When, when, when we were, you know, when you, uh, if you play a sport, some of you play a sport, you go to practice, your coach works you out, you go through drills, you get tired, he pushes you. He stretches you, and then at the end of it all, you line up and you run wind sprints. Why? Because he's getting you ready for the game. He is, he is coaching you up for the game. He's preparing your body for the game. That's what God's doing for us. He's getting us ready for the next stage of the race. He's getting us ready today for what he has us to do tomorrow. Now, the writer says, Granted, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For if you are left without discipline, verse 8, in which you have uh, all participated, then you are an illegitimate children, not sons. When, when, when you watch uh, a college football game, you've got about 100 people, 100 guys on the team, right? Well, most of them, only 11 of them are on the field. Most of them are just wandering around the Sidelines, looking up in the stands and stuff. The coach is not worried about those guys. He's worried about who? Guys on the field. He's worried about the people playing the game. And so God cares that much about us that we are in the game, and he's going to work with us, and he's going to train us, and he's going to get us ready for this next stage of the journey. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and respect, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. Our parents did. Our moms and dads did. 
they did what seemed best to them. But, but he, God, disciplines us for our good. And it's always perfect discipline. Training, instruction, education. That we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You would agree, right? When you're in athletics and, and you're working hard and you're training, it's painful. The pain face. And sometimes the discipline that we go through, the training that we go through, is painful. We were in um, um, India a, a few years ago, and we started out in, in Hyderabad, and then we went up to New Delhi. And when we were in New Delhi, uh, the people we were with took us to um, a, a leper colony. Hopeless and helpless uh, situation where these people were living as, as outcasts. Leprosy, leprosy is an insidious disease. It, it, it deadens the feeling on extremities. And um, as a result, there's an absence of pain. And with no feeling in your hands or your feet, you walk on hot objects or you touch hot objects or you walk on sharp objects and then an, and an infection. I mean, think about it. If your hand was on a hot burner, but you didn't know it was hot, it burns your skin and then infection sets in. And through the years, the infection and the absence of pain literally wear off the hands and the feet. And so you see lepers with, with stubs or hands and feet. It's not the disease itself. It's, it's the absence of pain that causes the leper to end up without the hands and the feet. Pain's a good thing, isn't it? Aren't you glad that we have pain in our hands so that if we touch a hot stove, we just don't? keep our hand on there so that the stove literally burns our hand off? Pain's a good thing. We don't like it. It's, it hurts. But it's for our good. Our souls are infected by sin and left unchecked, the infection will wear out our souls. That's why God's discipline, that's why his training is so, so good for us. For the moment, all discipline, it seems painful, that's for sure. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness that comes to those who have been trained by it. So we run the race by embracing God's training program for us. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2. We're getting ready to take communion here. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm sorry, verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Not on others, not on circumstances, not on yourself. Founder and perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before him. What's the joy set before him? What would that be? Look around. You're it. You're the joy set before him that caused him to go to the cross. You're it. He wanted to bring you to himself. And he knew you couldn't get there on his own, and I couldn't get there on my own. And so he died on a cross for us so that we could have a relationship with the living God. For the joy set before him, knowing that we were going to be his one day, he endured the cross, the pain of the cross. We think about the physical pain, and and. 
and the word excruciating means out of the cross. We can't even imagine the physical pain, but it was more than that. It was the wrath of God. Unimaginable. The wrath Jesus bore your sin and my sin in his body on the cross, and God poured out his wrath on God. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some commentators say that means I don't know how much longer I can do this. He endured the cross. He scorned the shame of the cross. Crucifixion was the most humiliating, hanging publicly naked. The most humiliating. He scorned the shame. He said, he said I'm gonna, I, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway because of the joy, because of us. And then he said, finally, he sat down, the Hebrew says, at the right hand of God. Done. Completed. Jesus did all. You, we can't add one thing to it. Isn't that good news? I can't add one thing to the work of Jesus. But I can sure thank him for it.